Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys and enjoy. Let's invite God into this place. Will you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, we invite you into this service today into our mind, into our heart. Lead me, guide me, empower me, challenge me. I receive your word today as truth for my life. I bind up Satan, his works, and his distraction. I pray for my brother and my sister in the Lord that they will be blessed too. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, praise the Lord this morning. You can be seated. So this week, I just had a story in scripture just pop off the pages to me uh, without me going there, without me hearing anything about it. And normally when this type of direction uh, comes to me, there's usually a distinct reason uh, that God wants to say something uh, specifically to maybe a person or some people. And so this morning, we're going to look at the story of the bronze serpent. And there's quite a few truths and, uh, you know, quite a few principles that you find in this area of Scripture uh, with this story. And we're going to look at a few of them today. And I am just praying that God's will be done in somebody's life or some people's life uh, concerning the truths that we're going to bring out of this area of Scripture today. So I'm just going to read it to you, and then we're going to talk about it. It says, and we're going to be reading uh, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. And I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Can you say impatient? This is is key right here. And the people spoke against God and Moses. They didn't just get mad at God. They got mad at God's servant too. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, there's an issue here. They got mad even though God was bringing them up. Like, that's a big no-no. When God is bringing you up, don't get mad. Amen? Now, if God is taking you down, you got a reason to get mad. But you don't have to worry. God won't take you down. He might break you down because sometimes you got to get broken down to get, to get up. Amen? Come on, are you breathing this morning? So don't get mad at God going through the process to get up. They got mad at God, and they got mad at his servant servant in the process of going up. Continuing, it says, for there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. They, get, they was getting tired of what they were eating. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of the, uh, many of the people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. 
So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So let me give you just a tiny backstory that occurred before this. Israel had just defeated the Canaanites. Israel uh, made a deal with God. Literally, they made a deal with God. God said, okay, I accept this deal. God empowered them, and Israel overcame the Canaanites. Israel had a great victory. They had a great moment in their life. They were being blessed. Things were happening. And then we come to this story. And what's and, and the first thing we need to look at before we dive into the story is that Oftentimes, victories are won, but if we're not careful in our mind and in our emotions, the victories don't last. So, in other words, we can have a victory that's that, that where we've overcame something, we've received something, a prayer has been answered, and then we, we go into another season in our life, and in this other season in our life, we begin to experience some things that is a bit opposite of the victory that we experienced previously. And if we're not careful, we forget about those victories. We forget about the goodness of God, or we forget about the miracles, and we forget about the signs and the wonders, or we forget about the goodness of God that transpired the season prior, and we find ourselves in a funky mindset with an attitude against God because we simply forgot about the victories that he allowed us to win in the previous season. Are you breathing this morning? They overcome the Canaanites. They had a great victory. But because they went through something that was a bit adverse, they forgot about their victories. So point number one is don't forget about your victories. The Bible says that we are overcomers by the word of our testimony. What technically is a testimony? A testimony is a story of God doing something good in your life. In other words, a testimony is an occurrence or an account of a victory in your life. And the Bible says that we are overcomers by the testimonies, the past victories in our life. So in order to be an overcomer in the, pre in the present and the circumstance in which we are in right now, we have to remember the victories that God brought us through yesterday, last week, last month, last year, and so forth. Are you breathing this morning? So number one, don't forget your victories. What God did yesterday, he will do today and tomorrow. And he will even do greater than he did yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Can I get an Amen. So number two is time can be our worst enemy. Look at somebody and say, you thought the devil was bad. Come on, come on, help me out. Look at someone and say, you thought the devil was bad. Now you get, you, those of you who are here today, which I'm so glad you are here, you got to make up for everybody that's gone. <laughs> all right? So that means you got to amen a little louder and you got to amen a little bit more, all right? 
So don't just look to the person in the left and say something. You got better look to the person to the right, person behind, maybe the person in front. Amen. Time can be our worst enemy. Time can cause doubt. Time can cause us acting out in our own will. Time can cause complacency. Time can cause an array of temptations. Time can cause a weakness to surface. So time in itself can be something that we use against ourselves, or it can be a tool that the enemy uses against us to oppose whatever God is doing in our life. Israel had a struggle because of the time that they were dealing with. See, they was in the process of waiting. God was taking them to a place, leading them to another season, to another area of glory. The Bible says that we go from glory to glory. The Bible teaches us that deep calls unto deep. The Bible says for everything under the sun, there is a season. Nothing stays the same. And because we know that God is a God of progression, order, and good, we know that he is continually taking us from season to season to season. But there is gaps of time in between each season. And in those gaps of time, there can be hardship because in gaps of time, if we're not careful, we become vulnerable and the enemy always tries to work against us when we are the most vulnerable. So Israel was in a gap of time and in this gap of time, they began to fall prey to the temptations at hand. So they began to simply complain against God and against Moses. Understand this. God does not treat complaining lightly. Look at somebody and say, you better not be complaining because God don't like it. So when we complain, it is not just an issue of the mouth, it's not that you just got a big waha. Waha is mouth in Hawaiian. Look at someone and say, shut your mouth, waha. <laughs> Husbands, look at your wife and say, pucker that waha up. The issue with complaining is not just the mouth. The issue with complaining is the mouth is controlled by the heart because the Bible does teach out of the heart, the waha works. The mouth speaks, right? So here Israel began to complain against God and Israel began to complain against Moses. The real problem is in the heart Israel had issues with God, and in the heart, Israel had issues with Moses. And they found themselves in a dangerous spot because their heart 
in their mouth, joined together, and they thought, because scripturally, your heart is your mind, they thought and they spoke against God and against the servant that loved them and delivered them and was leading them. Just as a side note, one of the hardships of pastoring is this issue right here. It's when people get mad and they think against you as a pastor and they speak against you as a pastor. And they have a tendency to ignore or forget of the love, of the sacrifice, of the leadership, of the willingness that a leader of faith has for the people they're leading. And it's not just from a, from a senior pastor uh, uh, thing. It, it's, it's for quite a few pastors, any pastor in the church. It is so funny and that's a wrong term to describe it, but it's so funny how people can turn against you in the drop of a hat. And it makes ministry very, very difficult. So, look at someone and say, watch your mind. Watch your waha. So, get back on point here. I wasn't planning on saying that. God did something different. something different than he's ever done before with Israel. Scripturally, there's not even an account that he did this with his own enemies, with the pagans. But he did this against his children that had turned their heart and turned their mouth against him and against his anointed. He sent fiery serpents. Tom ain't here today, is he? Oh, he's... This message is for you, Tom, because we all know Tom loves serpents. Not really. He freaks out at snakes, just by the way. I, I challenge somebody to go buy a fake snake and go put it on his truck. Right on top of his door. And let's just see, let's see what, let's see if he's Holy Ghost filled then. Let's see what happens. <laughs> That's funny. And, and you better be hiding in the car and you better videotape it and show me the video if you do that. Anyway, God did something totally different. He sent them fiery serpents. So here's the key. When our heart or our mind and our mouth and our words, words work together against God, guess what? We're in trouble. If you want to see a different side of God, and I'm not talking about a good side. Like, we, we, we all know that parents have two sides, right? Like, you got the good side of daddy, and you got the mm side of daddy. Oh, now, now, I'm saying daddies, but we all know the truth. Mamas are worse. Mamas got that love inside, but all of a sudden, all hell can break loose with mom when mama gets mad, right? And Pat shaking his head like, you know, you know, Pat. I know. 
My mom's sweet and loving. She was a prankster in the church. But once I made her mad, boy, she would go to the closet and pull out the belts every time. She'd be lighting me up like this, boom, boom, boom. And I'd be screaming and hollering and doing the Michael Jackson dance, and I couldn't even moonwalk. Mama had a different side. God has a different side. And it's not just his enemies get, that get the taste of that wrath. If we're not careful, us, his children, can get the taste of that wrath too. God unleashed his wrath. God unleashed a form of discipline upon his children. He removed his protection. He removed his favor. And he sent judgment. Or I prefer to say discipline. I don't see that in scripture, you don't see that God judges his children. But you do see that God removes protection, removes favor, and disciplines. And as good parents, don't we do the same? When, when, when our children are being stupid, what? We will remove our favor, right? We we will remove a, maybe a type of protection. Not, not that, you know, we will always protect our kids, but we will remove things. We will discipline them. It's just how it works. And this is what God did for Israel. Now, there was a way for this not, it, it, it didn't have to happen this way. Now, let's, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper what actually was happening with, with, with Israel. See, there's a reality. We don't always get to control what enters our mind. I'm giving you something to chew on. Did Jesus choose to be tempted with those three temptations when he was in the wilderness? No. So Jesus didn't choose the bread that came into his mind. Jesus didn't choose the kingdom that came into his mind. Jesus didn't choose the glory that came into his mind. It's not Israel's fault for what came into their mind, the temptation to complain. Because let's just be real. You take away our food, take away good food, you take away our water, and you make us eat the same old thing over and over and over and over again. Imagine God just giving you bologna and crackers for 40 years. I don't know about you, I'd be tempted to be complaining a little bit. See, we may not control what comes into our mind, but we absolutely can control what we meditate upon, and we absolutely can control what we speak upon. Let me give you some verses here. Joshua says, meditate on my word day and night, not deviating from it, and then you will be blessed. Go into the New Testament, it says, to meditate or think upon things which are good, which are holy, which are nice. Uh, James 3.10 says, out of the mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Your mouth, your words can go good ways. They can be a blessing to you. They can be a curse to you. 
Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. So you may not be able to control the thoughts that might enter your mind at different times in your life. But you can definitely take control what you think about. And you can definitely take control on what you speak about. And let's just be real. Sometimes God puts us through hard situations. And they're not comfortable. And you might feel you have a good reason to complain and a good reason to get mad and a good reason to gripe and grumble and a good reason to change your heart toward good. You might think that at first, but you cannot meditate upon that. And you definitely better not speak against it or you will be in trouble. God doesn't play around with this. Look at Ananias and Sapphira. They sold something, received some money. They said they were going to give all of it uh, uh, to the ministry. They gave some of it and they kept part of it. So they were tempted to keep and they were tempted to lie. So what we get, they had the thought, they had the meditation, and then they spoke the lie. And the Bible says that they, it wasn't together, it happened to him first and then it happened to her, they died. They got in trouble because their mind and their mouth aligned in such a way that they spoke, they they thought and spoke against God and they spoke that they thought and spoke against the ministry of God, the anointed of God, and they got themselves in trouble. They died. They fell over dead, the Bible says. Be careful. Be careful in spite of what you go through. There's been times that I've been put in rough situations, and in my mind, I am hating it. But I can honestly say to you as your pastor, I I do not meditate on that. And I do not allow my mouth to come in alignment with those negative thoughts or those complaining thoughts. I cast them out. How do I cast them out? I look at the silver lining of the hardship. I look at the blessing inside of the struggle. I remember what God did for me yesterday or yesteryear And I pick myself up in the Lord, reminding what he will do for me today and or tomorrow. I do not allow, even though the faults come, and they do come at times, but I do not meditate on it. And I am the first to say, God, I am feeling this way, but thank you. Thank you for provision. Thank you for opportunity. Thank you for anointing. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your rest. Thank you for my future. Thank you for your blessings on my family. Thank you that I haven't been through this. Thank you that I'm not going to go through that. Thank you, almighty God. Thank you, almighty God. You see, and I'm just giving my, using myself as an example, the thoughts 
do come. And I could make a choice to meditate on something that is bad. And I could allow my words to align with my brain. And I can think bad and I can speak bad. But I know from experience that that only puts me in the midst of trouble. Because if I was to do that, technically, that means I would be forgetting about what God did for me yesterday. That I would be forgetting about my blessing and forget about my promise and forget about my power. And then because me forgetting about that, I would turn my heart against God. And if I turn my heart against God, I position myself into a backsidden state. And I could be getting in a little bit of trouble or a lot of trouble. You have to take control of your mind and your waha. Look at, someone, look at someone say, control that waha. So let me ask you this before we go into the next point. Has your mind, because this is for somebody or some people, has your mind and your mouth turned against God and his servants slash people, children? Think about it. Don't, want you, don't be raising your hands. We don't want to know your business. Has your mind and has your mouth did a turn against God and any of his children simply because you were stuck in a gap of time where God wasn't doing something for you like you thought he should be doing for you. So, number four is we have people. There is people who are doing the same thing Israel did. Turned their hearts from God because things didn't work out like they had hoped. Like they had prayed. Like they had believed. So they just turned their heart off. When you turn your heart off, that's, that's when all of this has a tendency to take place. It's when you turn your heart off. Have you ever been in a relationship and your heart got turned off in that relationship? What happened? Intimacy broke down. Communication broke down, kindness broke down, generosity broke down, grace broke down, mercy broke down, likeness broke down, possibly love broke down, and what began to start, little gripes, little complaints, little issues, negative thoughts, they do this, they do that, I don't like this, I don't like that, and the dynamics of the relationship totally went opposite why? Because you turn your heart off for the other person inside that relationship. And oftentimes, hearts can be turned off in a relationship when you are not getting what you think you deserve. When things change in a way you don't want them to change or you didn't ask for them to change or don't expect them to change. 
So with Israel, technically their hearts turned off toward God. And we just read about the outcome of that. easy to do. You can get hurt. You can turn your heart off. It's funny how you can get hurt in the church and turn your heart off to God. I've I've met so many people. And I'm not justifying getting hurt in church by any means. It's It's the last place you should get hurt in, but yet it does happen. But I've seen people get hurt in church, hurt by a leader, hurt by a fellow brother or sister in the Lord. And then they turn their hearts off toward God. Or maybe God kept you waiting at the base of the mountain. Israel was kept waiting at the base of Mount Sinai. The smoke was going off. The lightning was happening. God was speaking to Moses. He was having these encounters, but Israel was kept at the base. It's really hard when you're kept at the base of blessing and you're witnessing somebody else be blessed. Are you breathing this morning? It's like you're right there. You've been praying like they've been praying. You, 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 you came out of Egypt like, like they just came out of Egypt. You might have even spent more time in Egypt, being treated more like a slave in Egypt than they. And then all of a sudden you come to the mountain of God and God picks them. And here you're stuck at the base of the mountain, mountain witnessing all their blessings. But here you are stuck waiting in that gap of time. I've been there. I've done that. And if you're not careful, why did you, we can do what Israel did. Israel turned to other things to create, to create technically an idol, but in all reality. They turned to their materialistic possessions to try to find fulfillment for what their heart really longed for. And oftentimes, that is one of the struggles that we have to deal with. We're waiting on God to fulfill something that's empty in us. And we're in this gap of time. And if we're not careful, we're waiting at the base of a mountain, watching everybody else be blessed but us. And we get tired of waiting on him. And we just turn and go the opposite way. And we begin to use the possessions of this world. The materials of this world becomes our fix, becomes our drug, becomes our replacement of God. What did Israel use to make the golden calf? They used gold. A possession of the world, something that was meaningful to them. All because they turned their heart off to God. So let's, let's get on with this. So the next point, I just got a couple more, is, is you have to, if this is you, if this is you, you have to turn back to Jesus. You have to do what, 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 what the, Ephes, the, the, the Ephesian church in, in Revelations 2 needed to do. Turn back, return to their first love. You have to go back to Jesus. 
You have to remind yourself of God's blessings. You have to remind yourself of God's miracles. You have to remind yourself of God's promises. You have to remind yourself of the good things that God has done for you. Remind yourself of the promises that God has given you that, he, that hasn't been fulfilled yet. Yet, you have to go back to Jesus. Don't go back to religion. Go back to Jesus. Don't just make it a point to go to church more. You go back to Jesus. Because it's Jesus that you've offended. And it's Jesus that can change the discipline that maybe God has allowed to fall upon you. Because you've thought and you've spoken against him. So, in this story, we read that you know, God sent them fiery serpents. And then God told Moses to, to create a serpent and put it on a pole. And so Moses created a bronze serpent and he placed it on a pole. And then he told them by the instructions of God that they were to just, when they were bit by the fiery serpents, that they were to look at the serpent of bronze. And just looking to the serpent of bronze on the pole would save them and keep them alive. So let's look at that a little bit. Let's look at, look, look, look at those things. So number one, the serpent represents judgment or discipline in this case. So the bronze that the serpent was, was made of represents Grace and mercy. On Wednesday nights, we, we, we've been talking about uh, the, the temple and, and the articles in the temple. And the first article or the first furnishing in the temple that one comes to is a brazen or a bronze altar. And it represents forgiveness, mercy, grace, sins forgiven, being redeemed by the sacrificial lamb placed upon the sacrificial altar. So the brazen serpent represents mercy and grace. And then it was placed upon a pole. And that pole, going off of what they did in the tabernacle or the temple, that pole was most likely wood, acacia wood, because that was the, pre, that was the predominant wood uh, in, 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 in their land. And then they uh, covered it in bronze. So that pole represents the cross. So you have the serpent that represents judgment or discipline. You have the bronze, which represents the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. And then you have the pole that represents the cross that Christ died upon for our sins. So if you think about it this way, you have judgment do you know, rightfully, right, right, how do I say it? Judgment that is due, rightful judgment. But then you have bronze, you have mercy and grace 
that covers that judgment. And then it is placed upon the cross, which represents the work that Christ did for us. See, this is why it's so important to always return back to Jesus. Because when you return back to Jesus, the judgment of sin, the judgment of going against God, the discipline for speaking against God, for thinking against God, can all be covered by the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Your first step is not the church. Religion wants you to think that everything starts in the church. No, it does not. Everything starts with Jesus. Church is a byproduct of Jesus, not, not the opposite. The Bible says that no one can come to the Lord unless the Spirit draweth him. The church don't bring people to Jesus. The Spirit draweth people to Jesus. And the church is just a byproduct of people coming to Jesus. I am so sick and tired of the church being put on a pedestal. And I'm so sick and tired of people in the church made to be idols like there's something special. They sit on a pot just like you and I. But what is special is Jesus Christ. If you won't change, you got to go to Jesus because Jesus will change the direction of discipline and Jesus will change the direction of judgment because Jesus is the bronze of mercy and grace that was up on the cross for all to be saved. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. Man, it's about Jesus. Now, I'm not saying church ain't important. And I'm not saying that you need to skip church because church is a byproduct of Jesus and church is an important part of our journey of faith. But let's just be real. It never super exceeds and it will never compare to Jesus. Ain't that right, Koa? You're tired from that football, ain't you? I had to pick on my son a little bit. I don't know. He really appreciates that right there. Check this out, though. Let me give, you, give, give me a little bit of revelation right here. So when you go to the tabernacle, what's on the outside of the actual tent of meeting is the bronze. The furnishings are bronze. You got the laven, the laven, you got the altar. But when you get inside the actual tent of meeting, the furnishings aren't bronze anymore. They're gold. Gold represents the majesty of God, the presence of God, the beauty of God, the power of God, the blessings of God, the success that God gives you. All these wonderful attributes of God is in the the temple, the tabernacle, but you do not get that unless you first come to the bronze. You get gold from God, but you do not get gold, which is the high valuables that God wants to bless you with. You don't get gold until you first come to the bronze. So you got you to gotta get to Jesus before you get to the blessings of the Father. Man, 
slap somebody and say, that's good, that's good. I don't know what you're so quiet about. Slap them and say, wake up, wake up. I'm going to be done in a minute. I don't even know how long I've kept you, but it's only 11.08. Give me a few minutes. What's, what's really cool, though, to me here, you know, the, the Bible teaches us that if you want to be saved, you have to call on the Lord, right? You, you call on the Lord, you, conf- you repent, you confess, you believe, the, you know, all, all these things. What was Israel to do when they looked at that serpent or when the, serpent, when the bronze serpent was placed before them? They wasn't to speak anything. They was to look. N- number one, it, it's, it's showing two different types of people right there. Saved people don't have to go through the same process that they went through to be saved. They're saved. Right? Now, there's some people I'm talking, I'm talking to today. The issue is not you being saved. The issue is not with you not being a child of God anymore. That's not the problem. Israel, they were the children of God. That, that was, that was, it had already happened. It was set in stone. You're saved. You believe in Jesus. Your problem is you just got an attitude with God. You turned your heart from God. You stopped looking at God for who he really is. And the Bible says, that all Israel had to do to be rescued from the discipline of the snake is to simply look. Look at mercy. Look at grace. Look back to God and see his goodness and see his promises. The Bible teaches us that the kindness of God will draw us to him. I personally believe that if you really, really, can somebody say really? That if you really see God, you cannot keep a hard heart against God. Because what you see is the love of a father. What you see is the goodness of a creator. What you see is the mercy and grace of God Almighty. What you see is the beauty and the attributes. You cannot help but to change your view, change your heart. When you really see God, when you really get a view of God, the Bible says that my sheep, all my sheep know my voice. You know God. If you're a child of God, you know God. And if you turned your heart against God, all you need to do is not, is not just turn your heart, is turn your eyes. Just go back to looking at God. Go back to seeking God. Go back to getting a revelation of God. They just had to look. Look back to God once more. 
with your love, with your passion, with your desire, with your commitment, with your worship, with your wonder of all. Whenever you have a heart change, it not only affects your mouth, but it affects your eyes. Heart change creates a different perspective for the person that your heart turned against. It just happens. It's the way it is. You don't see them the same. When someone made you mad and your heart turned against them, did you see them the same? When you feel like someone hurt you, did you see them the same? When they let you down, did you see them the same? No, you didn't. And one of the only ways you can really get your heart back in tune with that person is to really see them for who they really are. Sometimes forgiveness comes when you look at someone and you see who they really are or you see why they act the way that they act and it's not personally against you. You know how me and Lorana have been able to deal with people that has come against us in our ministry at times? Because we've chosen to look at the real person. We've chosen to look at their heart. We've chosen to look at their past. We've chosen to see how they were damaged. And we were able to get a proper perspective of why they did what they did. And that proper perspective, guess what? Kept my heart open to continually loving and forgiving them. It's the same way between us and God because we are in this intimate relationship with God. We have to look back, look to where we have fallen, look at his goodness, look at his grace, see him for who he really is and allow our heart to be softened. And our words, instead of complaint, turns into words of praise, worship, adoration. In other words, we come back to our first love when we really look at our first love. Hmm. The last one and the shortest of the bunch. It's the heart of the leader or the priest, Moses. Moses was like a leader priest. Of what initiated the, the deliverance. Moses went before God on the people's behalf. Moses established a bronze serpent on a pole that represented mercy, grace, and redemption. And it was Moses that created an opportunity 
for them to turn back to their first love. And I'm in the position of Moses today. I am initiating an opportunity for you to just look at the goodness of God. For you to realign your eyes on the blessings, on the goodness, on the love, on the power of Almighty God so that your heart is not against him or against any of his people and so that your words is not against him or any of his people and so that if there's been a lift of protection, a lift of favor, a lift of intimacy between you and your heavenly Father, all that can be restored. Because when you see God, you can't help but to come back to God. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.